0: going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 16, because I want us to consider the context of this passage that I'll be preaching on this morning, which is uh, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. You know, our favorite one that everybody gets the same? (laughs) I know I'm supposed to be preaching on this this morning, and I'll tell you why. I had jury duty on Friday. So I go into the jury, you know, and there's 30 people there, and I'm like, well, the chances of me getting picked are pretty slim. They picked me, so... (laughs) I go in the room, and the very first thing that everybody said was, the people that just left, the 23 that left, are getting $30 for the day. And we're getting $30 for the day. And we're not going to leave until 5 or 6 o'clock. That's the first thing that came up. And I'm like, all right, Lord, I know I'm supposed to be preaching on this passage. So if you, want, if you want a contemporary illustration of this, that's it right there. So then I went to the Good News Jail and Prison Ministry yesterday morning, and guess what uh, Pastor uh, Varska preached on? I'm a dead man. I got a preach on this this morning, and and he touched me because he gave three illustrations of people that had come to come to know Jesus Christ in prison, and then came out and his whole theme of that was because you're going to see book ended on this passage is uh, the last will be first and the first will be last, right? And he said. People that are in prison, we sometimes consider them last. But they'll be first. And they're going to be at the table when you get there. It was was powerful. So this is a powerful word this morning. There's no power in me. But there's power in this word because Jesus spoke it. Because it's at the very heart of who God is. And it's at the very heart of what transformation in our lives looks like so that we can be effective servants and witnesses for Jesus Christ. So let's pray. God, the focus right now is on your word. It's not on the preacher. It's on your word. And Lord, may your word come forth this day with boldness because you spoke it May your Holy Spirit take this word this morning and rightly divide it in each of our hearts so that when we leave here this morning, we will leave here as people who are committed to the gospel, who are committed to living out the gospel in our lives and in this community and world where we live. Come Holy Spirit, rightly divide your word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the parable in chapter 20 is a closing illustration of what begins in, in 19. And it's very familiar to us. We probably all could quote it, maybe even quote it word for word, as the scripture, But it's a training session that Jesus has with his disciples. And it begins in Matthew 19 16. I'm not going to read this. I'm going to tell the story. But you can read it. It's a conversation Jesus has with a rich young man who comes up and asks, What good deed can I do to have eternal life? This man is a law keeper. He's kept the law since he was a little kid. It's perfect. But he sensed that something was missing. He sensed that he needed to do more. So in verse 21 of chapter 19 in Matthew, Jesus said, If you would be perfect, sow everything that you possess. Give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. But he couldn't bear... To part with his stuff. (laughs) So he went away, the scripture says, sorrowful, really sad. I'm sorry I can't go there with you, Jesus, because of my stuff. So Jesus exposed the real problem with this man. He could not let go of his false refuge, he could not part with possessions. He had to hold on to the law and keep it in order to trust and follow Jesus. But Jesus points to that and says, Son, it is impossible for someone like you to be saved. Only God can make someone let go of their junk and their false hope to be saved only god can do that it is impossible for a man to do that it is impossible for a woman to do that because the heart has to change and god is the only one who can change a heart well that's what started the training session <laughs> If I would have been the disciples, I would have found the side door and left at that point. But, oh no, Peter, come on, Peter. Peter's listening, and Peter has one question. He latched in on this idea about selling all that you have, and so Peter is stuck there, and he's evaluating his own life. He says, You called me, I left my fishing boat, I left my nets. Woo! Look at verse 27. See what we have left, everything. We've left everything to follow you. So now he's saying, so what do we get, Jesus? What do we get? We've succeeded where this stupid rich kid failed. So what do we have coming to us? Peter's adding up his merit points. He has a bank account of good deeds going in his head, and he's going to cash in on it right now. Look at all of my good deeds. He's operating, I want you to hear this, he's operating on the same principle of the rich young man, thinking that God is obligated to bless him because of his performance. That somehow his deeds are of such great righteousness that it would be unjust for God not to reward Peter. Any of you come in here with that attitude this morning? Just saying. What's in it for us? Jesus answers Peter, Peter's question. First, Jesus gives him encouragement, and then he whacks him with the correction. (laughs) Encouragement, verse 28. Oh, Peter, believe me, you're going to like the blessing that's waiting for you. You're going to like the blessing that's waiting for you. It's way better than you could ever imagine. You're not going to to regret any sacrifice that you make for my kingdom. You will be overcompensated. There is blessing for you, Peter, and there's blessing for all who leave father, mother, nets, fields to follow me. But, but, it's not going to be dispensed the way you think it's going to be dispensed. And here comes not a rebuke. It's not a rebuke. It's a correction. It's an instruction. Verse 30. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now what in the heck does that mean? I know, when I interpret that verse, I say, that applies to me. (laughs) Of course. I'm the last who's going to be first. But that's the subject matter of this parable that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 20, which is bracketed on both sides by that verse. What happens between is the explanation of what it means. The last will be first, and the first will be last. Are you ready to hear this? Anybody want to leave? Okay. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and then he sent them into his vineyard. By the way, I told this story to my grandchildren last night before they went to bed, and they were all in, baby. They were listening. I just told it. I, didn't re- I told the story, and they were in. I'll tell you what they said later. About 9 in the morning... They answered. He said to them, You also will go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous so the last will be first and the first will be last? First workers in, go in at 6 a.m. They're promised a denarius. Let's say 100 bucks, all right? It's probably a little less than that, but it's a full day's wages, all right? 9 a.m., he says, I'll pay you whatever is right. Noon, 3 p.m., same, I'll pay you whatever is right. 5 p.m., one hour left, sun going down, cooler, standing around all day doing nothing, sends them in the vineyard. Now it's sundown, 6 p.m. The day's work is over. It's time to pay everybody. One group who worked one hour, we'll call them the cream puffs, (laughs) and then another group who worked all day, dead tired in the hot sun, scorching sun, they're sore, they're grumpy. The foreman comes in, starts calling, Workers starts with the cream puffs. To their surprise, they get a hundred bucks. Hey, ten bucks would have been good enough. Hundred bucks way out of proportion. But thanks a lot. Now the twelve hour workers. The ones who have been in the courtroom all day long. They find out about this somehow that the cream puffs got $100, and they're only getting $100. And as our tech said, they thought they would receive more. They worked one hour and got $100. We worked 12 hours. We should get $1,200 plus a bit more for all that sweat equity in the scorching heat. They're expecting a bonus. They're pumped. They come with all kinds of expectation. But what happens? Here's your $100. Here's your $100. Here's your $100. Wait a minute. That's the same as the cream puffs got. You can't predict their reaction. They grumbled. They said to the landowner, your system is unfair now I'm going to invite you to call up at times that you have said that's unfair that's unfair that's unfair I'm not judging these people at all I have been there I have spoken that word from my lips you can't reward people that only worked one hour the same as people who worked 12 hours that's not right The amount of work should determine the amount of pay. After all, we're American. More work, more more pay. Less work, less pay. There's a fixed relationship between work and pay, and we deserve more because we did more. How is Peter hearing this? <laughs> that was my question as I'm reading through the passage. How is Peter hearing, hearing this? Now that might seem like a reasonable, reasonable complaint in our society, but notice who doesn't sympathize with the 12-hour worker's sense of injustice. The landowner. The landowner does not sympathize with the 12-hour workers. He doesn't think this is unjust. He says, friend, now listen to this. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me to work for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? In other words, I don't follow the fixed relationship between work and rewards. The landowner saying, I don't agree that the amount of work should determine the amount of pay. I choose to bless some people far beyond their worth or what they have done. Some, the last four workers, I have treated generously. Others, like you, I have treated fairly. But no one have I treated unfairly. Now, how does this apply to Peter? And how does this apply to us? God is the landowner. God is the landowner. He owns everything. And God is generous with what belongs to him. He does bless his laborers, like Peter and the disciples and us. And there is a reward for obedience but that reward isn't given on the principle that the more you do for God, the more you obligate God to bless you. Amen. It doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. And if you brought the American ideal and the American expectation in here today, it does not work in the kingdom of God. Something's going to have to change, and it's not going to be God. God gives whatever God decides is right to give, regardless of what one does for him, and it is never unfair. Now we can ask the question, well, why isn't it unfair? A couple of you might be asking that question. Why isn't that unfair that 12-hour workers get the same as the cream puffs? It seems unfair, especially if you're the 12-hour laborer. It's because of who the laborers are. The laborers in God's vineyard, the 12 disciples who are following Jesus are not innocent bystanders standing around waiting for an opportunity to work for God. We are all sinners who have been redeemed by a gracious God who no longer live for ourselves but we live for Christ and Christ is the one who decides when we work, where we work and what our pay is. Because what we deserve is judgment, not blessing. Because God's standard is absolute perfect obedience. And anything short of that is sin. And sin deserves the wrath of God. But we've been singing all morning about the mercies of the Lord. We've been singing about God's grace, right? so we know that God's grace. Yes, God, you can save me. Yes, God, I thank you that you died on the cross and you rose again. I thank, I'm so thankful that I'm not last anymore. I'm first because of what Christ has done. I'm thankful for that. But can't I just keep things? Can't we just keep it American? <laughs> can't we just keep it the way that it is in the world that I live? Come on. And God says, no, no, no. If you want to enter my kingdom, rich boy, if you want to enter my kingdom, Peter, if you want to enter my kingdom, Bruce, then something of yours has got to go. Get rid of your stuff. Get rid of your stuff and stop putting it on the scale and determining what's fair and what's unfair by your stuff. Start determining what's fair and what's unfair by the goodness and the grace of God. The reason that God is free to bless the laborers at all is because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take the judgment for our sins. We no longer stand under that judgment when we are in the shadow of the cross because Christ Christ credits his perfect record of obedience. He credits it to us. And that should be enough. That's the basis upon which God can bless his laborers at all. But beyond that, even after that, if we're doing great works for God, I'm doing these for the Lord, we can't say those works are earning anything because even our good works, as Isaiah says, our righteousness, our own good works, are as filthy rags in the kingdom of God. There never is a 100% pure motive to just glorify God only. I don't know where I got this, but this is not mine. I was reading, and and, um, it was a couple years ago. I I, I take notes, and I put it in sermon files, and I forgot to put down who said this, but somebody else did. The fact is there are no 12-hour workers. There are none. Nobody has wavered all day in God's vineyard and earned the full wage of righteousness. None of us have done that. None of us can do that. At best, we are the one-hour workers. Now hear this. Jesus is the only 12-hour worker. He's the only one. He's the one who's borne the scorching heat of the day. And he's earned the landowner's full wage. And the amazing thing about it is that the generous landowner, God says, and I choose to give you, the one-hour workers, the same as I gave my son, Jesus Christ, the true 12-hour worker, what Jesus earned I choose to give to you. So the last shall be first. God says, in my kingdom, blessing will flow on you on the basis of my son's work, not yours. That's grace. Blessing flows to me on the basis of Christ's work on the cross and the power of his resurrection and the Holy Spirit, taking what Christ has done for us and appropriating it to our hearts. We never, ever earn it. No matter how good our obedience is, that's what Jesus is teaching in this parable. He is the 12-hour worker And we are blessed when we come to be given what the 12-hour worker has earned for the last so that they can be first to come and sit in the heavenly banquet table. But here's what we do we expect that if we screw up, mess up, don't attain it, we say that we don't deserve it. And so we have to do something. When we have a bad day, when we start out and we're passing out tracks all over Charlottesville and nobody takes one, right, you're having a bad day. None of that equates to what Jesus is giving us, right? Why do we think that way? Why do we think if we do something bad or if we perform for God terribly that we don't deserve it and we're like picking the daisies? He loves me, he loves me not. I'm in, I'm out. I'm in, I'm out. How many people do that? I know a lot of people that do that. It's because we think that God's favor and blessing are dependent upon our performance. If we don't perform well, we think God is going to remove his favor or has removed his favor. So, what do we do on days like that? We come to the gospel, we come to the cross. We confess, yes, I sinned, yes, I screwed up, yes, I did that. And then we move forward in faith because we know that God doesn't treat us according to what we do. He treats us according to what Christ has done. It is Christ's work in us that brings transformation. Okay, now let's take a good day. You read your Bible this morning, didn't you? Way to go. (laughs) Yes. And you were out feeding the homeless yesterday, weren't you? Yeah. Way to go. Here's the thing. We feel pretty good on those days. But it's exactly the same. It's for the same reason that we don't expect God's blessing on a bad day. We think God's favor and blessing are dependent upon our performance. And because we're performing well, we think God is obligated to bless us. And we expect God to do that. And we're really resting on our own works. What do we do on those days? We come to the cross. And we remind ourselves that nothing that we bring in our hands does any work in the kingdom. The only work that matters in the kingdom is what Jesus has done for us. We couldn't even go into the Holy of Holies. And Jesus went into the Holy of Holies. There were no chairs there because the priest couldn't sit down. He had a rope tied around his ankle because if he died in there, they couldn't go in. They had to pull him out. And it was the work that... People did in offering their sacrifices that they believed earned God's grace. But Jesus went in, and this is what the Scripture says in Hebrews 10. The Scripture says our high priest went in and he sat down. Why? Because the work was finished. The work, and it also says, one time for every person for all time. Jesus' work is the only work that matters. God's blessing, God's favor, God's righteousness does not depend on our performance. It doesn't depend on us performing well, and doing anything that impresses God. God is not obligated to bless us when we do great things for God. But it is dependent upon what Christ has done for us. So I want to conclude this message, the parable, with something that I found from C.J. Mahaney's. It's a... It's, uh, The cross-centered life. And there's a chapter in there that's called Breaking the Rules of Legalism. And it reminds us that we never earn God's favor by obedience. We receive it by his grace alone. That God deals with us generally, generously, as the landowner did with the one-hour workers. And that all the blessings in our lives come through our union with Christ by faith in Him. And that removes any ground for our boasting when we do well, and it removes any grounds for lack of confidence in God's blessing when we do badly. So here's what C.J. Mahaney says. I know the temptation of legalism. That's why when I complete my daily devotions and close my Bible, I make it a point to remind myself that it's Jesus' work, not mine, that is the basis of my forgiveness and my acceptance by God. Lord, I ask for your grace and strength as I seek to serve you today. I thank you that all your blessings flow to me from your Son's work on my behalf. I am justified by your grace alone. None of my efforts to obey you and grow in sanctification add to your finished work at the cross. What joy the gospel gives me. I can approach your throne with confidence not because I've done a good job at my spiritual duties, but because I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God wants you to have this same confidence He's not impressed with your spinning plates, that is, your efforts to seek God's approval by obedience. So renounce all self-righteousness. Make your boast in the achievement and the work of your Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's our boast this morning as we come to the table. Our boast is in Jesus' achievement for us, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross so that we might be covered with his righteousness and the Holy Spirit can transform us into the image of Christ so that all that we are and all that we do, we can truly offer Not to receive anything from God.